It was a Thursday, the kind of day you'd expect nothing out of the ordinary. I walked into Joe's diner, the bell above the door chiming its usual greeting. The smell of coffee and bacon filled the air, comforting and familiar. I took my usual seat at the counter, waiting for Mike, the owner, to take my order. That's when I saw it. Mike turned around, and where his face should have been, there was nothing. Just a blank expanse of skin, smooth and featureless. No eyes, no nose, not even a mouth. It was as if his face had been erased by an unseen hand. I froze, my heart pounding. I looked around expecting screams, panic, anything. But the other patrons continued eating, chatting as if nothing was amiss. Mike approached me, his apron stained as always, and waited. Mike! My voice came out as a whisper. Your face! He just shrugged, a gesture so ordinary it was surreal under the circumstances. His voice, when he spoke, was muffled, as if coming from a great distance. What'll it be today? I couldn't answer, I couldn't even think. I stood up, my chair scraping loudly against the floor. Nobody looked up. I backed away, my eyes fixed on Mike's faceless head. I stumbled out of the diner, the bright sunlight harsh against my eyes. The normalcy of the street outside, people walking, cars passing, felt like a slap. I was shaking, my mind racing with impossible questions. Was I losing my mind? Was this some kind of hallucination? But it felt so real, so vivid. I glanced back through the diner window. Mike was serving coffee to a regular, laughing soundlessly. The world had shifted, and I was the only one who seemed to notice. Within days, the phenomenon that started with Mike became a terrifying reality for the entire town. It spread like an invisible wildfire, leaving faceless people in its wake. I saw them everywhere. Walking down the streets, in stores, at the gas station. Each with the same smooth, featureless skin where their faces should have been. Panic gripped the town tightly. Conversations were hushed, eyes darted nervously, and the once friendly greetings ceased. Doors were locked and windows shuttered. The town turned into a ghost town, shrouded in fear and suspicion. I decided to talk to Sarah, my next-door neighbour, hoping she'd have some rational explanation, anything that could make sense of this madness. But when she answered the door, my words choked in my throat. Her face was gone, just like Mike's. The sight of her sent a shiver down my spine. She spoke, her voice hollow and distant. It's happening to all of us. Her words echoed in the empty space where her mouth should have been. It was a voice devoid of emotion, as if her humanity had been stripped away along with her face. I stepped back, stumbling over my words. How? What? She just shook her head, a gesture that was unnervingly normal despite her altered appearance. No one knows. It's like we're being erased. I looked down the street, where more faceless figures wandered aimlessly. The town's sense of community was dissolving into an unrecognisable chaos. Friends and family members were becoming unidentifiable, lost in a sea of featureless strangers. The familiar faces that once brought comfort were now a source of unending terror. The feeling of isolation was unbearable. Without faces, there was no way to read expressions, no way to connect. Conversations dwindled into nothingness. 
the human connection we all took for granted had been severed, leaving a void that was filled with fear and distrust. As I walked back to my house, the uncanny silence of the streets was broken only by the occasional muffled voice or the sound of a door hastily closing. The chaos that enveloped the town was unlike anything I had ever witnessed. The streets echoed with an eerie sense of loss. Faceless figures roamed aimlessly, their identities stripped away, leaving them as mere shadows of their former selves. Recognition became a thing of the past. Without faces, people were indistinguishable from one another. Voices became the only means of identification, but even they were often muffled and distorted, as if the absence of a face also took a part of their humanity. Families were torn apart in the confusion. Parents couldn't recognize their children. Spouses became strangers to each other. There were heartbreaking scenes in the streets. People desperately calling out names, hoping for a familiar voice to respond. Children cried in the arms of faceless adults, their sobs a disturbing reflection of the surreal nightmare we were living. In a desperate attempt to bring some semblance of order, I joined a group of volunteers. We tried to establish a system of identification, using name tags and voice recognition. But it was a futile effort. Trust had eroded. Suspicion and fear had taken its root deep within the community. The group meetings were tense, filled with accusations and paranoia. How do we know you are who you say you are? Became a common, unsettling question. We were all strangers now, even to ourselves. The reflection in the mirror was a persistent memory of our lost identities. Public services started to fail. Emergency calls went unanswered, as dispatchers couldn't identify callers or their locations. The local radio station became a hub of communication, broadcasting voices of the faceless, trying to reach out to loved ones, to anyone who would listen. As the days passed, the town's infrastructure began to crumble under the weight of this unexplainable phenomenon. Shops remained closed, streets were littered with abandoned cars, and the once vibrant community gardens turned into overgrown patches of neglect. The town square became a meeting point for the faceless. They wandered in and out, their movements aimless, their interactions reduced to minimal, muffled exchanges. A sense of despair hung over the area. The government's intervention was swift and decisive. It started early one morning when large, unmarked trucks rolled into town. Teams of men clad in hazmat suits descended, their faces obscured behind masks and visors. They began cordoning off the town, erecting tall fences topped with barbed wire, effectively cutting us off from the outside world. Patrols of these suited figures started roaming the streets, their presence both reassuring and ominous. Loudspeakers mounted on government vehicles blared instructions. Stay indoors. Avoid close contact with others. Report any changes in condition. The once familiar streets of our town now resembled a dystopian movie set. Curfews were imposed and checkpoints were set up at key locations. The faceless townspeople were herded like cattle through these checkpoints, each one scanned and tagged with a barcode wristband. It was dehumanizing. But in the chaos, some semblance of order was necessary, or so we were told. 
rumors began to swirl among the town's residents. Whispers of a government experiment gone horribly wrong filled the air. Some said it was a failed bioweapon. Others claimed it was an attempt at mass surveillance, a way to strip us of our identities and control us. The truth was as elusive as our faces. I found myself torn between gratitude for the semblance of order and a growing distrust of the government's intentions. Their actions were efficient, almost too practiced, as if they had prepared for this. It made me question how much they knew about our condition. The local government representatives tried to maintain calm, but their faceless, emotionless addresses did little to quell the growing anxiety and conspiracy theories. They seemed just as lost and confused as the rest of us, reading from prepared statements that gave no real answers. In the absence of faces and expressions, communication broke down further. Even with the government's intervention, the town's social fabric continued to unravel. The faceless patrols, the constant surveillance, and the towering fences highlighted our imprisonment and the unknown fate that awaited us. In the midst of our despair, a growing movement against our silent oppressors emerged. The leader of this group was a woman who, miraculously, still had her face. Her name was Anna. Anna was a symbol of defiance in a sea of conformity. She spoke with conviction, her expressions igniting a fire in the hearts of those who had become mere shells of their former selves. Her theory was bold and simple. The government was responsible for this catastrophe. She believed it was either an experiment gone awry or a deliberate act to subjugate us. Under her leadership, we met in secret, in abandoned buildings and quiet basements, away from the watchful eyes of the patrolling government officials. Anna's plan was daring, to break out of the quarantined town and expose the truth to the world. She believed that if we could reach the media, or even just the public beyond our barricaded boundaries, we could shed light on the horrors happening inside. We gathered resources, mapped out the patrol routes of the guards, and devised strategies to bypass the security measures. For the first time since this nightmare began, I felt a sense of purpose, a hope that we could reclaim our lives and identities. But our hope was short-lived. On the eve of our planned escape, chaos erupted. Anna vanished. Just like that, our leader, the face of our resistance, was gone without a trace. Rumours spread like wildfire. Some said she was captured by the government. Others whispered that she was a plant, a false saviour to mislead us. Her disappearance dealt a devastating blow to the morale of the group. Arguments broke out, fear and suspicion taking hold. Without Anna, we were a rudderless ship in a stormy sea. The carefully laid plans crumbled as trust disintegrated. Members of the group started to disappear too, some giving up, others perhaps caught by the government. The resistance became a fragmented memory. We were left to question everything. The government's role... Anna's true intentions and even our own part in this strange, dystopian world. I decided to take matters into my own hands. The key to understanding this epidemic, I believed, lay in the town's local research lab, a facility that had always been shrouded in secrecy and now was heavily guarded. Under the cover of darkness, I made my way to the lab. The streets were deserted, the only sound the distant hum of a government vehicle on patrol. 
I stayed in the shadows, avoiding any light, my heart racing with every step. The lab loomed ahead, a fortress of secrets in the night. I found a weak spot in the fence surrounding the lab and squeezed through. My hands trembled as I approached the building, aware of the risk of being caught. The lab was supposed to be impregnable, but in their focus on external threats, they had overlooked one small back door. I picked the lock and slipped inside. The lab was dark and silent, a maze of corridors and closed doors. I navigated through, guided by the faint glow of emergency lights, until I found what I was looking for, a room filled with documents, reports, and research papers. It was there, buried under stacks of scientific jargon, that I found the truth. A series of documents outlined a secret experiment on identity and control. The government had been working on a virus designed to erase facial features, a tool for erasing identities and creating anonymity. They thought it could be controlled, contained within a test group. But the virus had mutated. It spread beyond their calculations, beyond their control. The documents detailed their failed attempts to contain it, their panic as it spread to the entire town. It was a confession of guilt, written in cold clinical terms. My hands shook as I held the papers. This was the evidence we needed, the truth Anna had believed in. I stuffed the documents into my bag, determined to reveal the government's atrocity to the world. The escape from the town was a blur of adrenaline and fear. Clutching the stolen documents tightly, I navigated the maze of back streets and alleyways, avoiding the ever-present patrols. The night air was cold against my skin. I was a messenger of truth. Finally, after what seemed like an eternity, I reached the outskirts, the barrier that separated our quarantined existence from the outside world. I found a neglected section of the fence, hidden from the watchful eyes of the guards, and made my way through. Freedom, at last. I kept moving until the first light of dawn broke the horizon, the documents my precious cargo. As the sun rose, I found a small, deserted gas station with a restroom. It was there, in the dingy light of that forgotten place, that my world shattered. Looking into the cracked mirror, I expected to see my determined, resolute expression. Instead, I was met with a smooth, featureless expanse of skin where my face should have been. My breath caught in my throat, a silent scream in the void. My face, the very essence of my identity, was gone. In a daze, I touched the surface where my features used to be. The realization hit me. The virus had taken more than just our faces. It had stolen our identities, our memories, fragments of who I was, my purpose, the importance of the documents. All were slipping away like sand through my fingers. I stared at the papers in my hand, once so vital, now meaningless to me. Names, dates, details, they meant nothing. My past, my mission, my very self were lost in the abyss of my mind. The horror of the situation dawned on me. Even if I could get the truth out, I no longer knew what it was. The world outside remained oblivious to the nightmare within the town, and I, the one who could have unveiled the truth, was now just another faceless victim. The virus had completed its final cruel twist. Not only did it erase our faces, 
but it also wiped away our ability to bring its dark origins to light. In that small, desolate bathroom, with the morning light creeping in, I sat defeated. The documents, the only key to the truth, lay scattered on the floor, their significance lost to me. The town's secret, the government's experiment, my own identity, all remained buried within me, a locked chest with no key. The faceless figure in the mirror was proof of the virus's ultimate victory. It didn't just rob us of our faces, it robbed us of ourselves. And with that, the town's plight, my plight, was doomed to remain an unsolved mystery, hidden behind a face that no longer existed.